Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. I say this calls for action, and now, nip it in the bud. Well, what I do is uh, I look a woman up and down, and I say, Hey, how you doing? And hey, how are you doing, everybody? Jim McCarron's here with the good, the bad, and the TV on the Believe Podcast Network. It's the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? Subscribe to us if you do, and then rate the show on iTunes. We're available there and on your other favorite directories like Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn, and other words I don't know. Plus, you can also find us at Believe.com. And of course, always on the Twitter. It's at Believe Podcasts. If you'd like some info on advertising on this or any Believe show, just reach out to believe at believe.com. It's that simple. You got to believe. Now let's believe in the good, the bad, and the TV. The year is 1969, the last year of an explosive and divisive decade, pushing the country into what would be the revolutionary 70s, whether we liked it or not. In 1969, we see the first flight of the Concorde and the last ever Beatles concert. Nixon is inaugurated. The big books are Slaughterhouse-Five and The Godfather. It's the year of the Mets and the Jets, the moon landing, Chappaquiddick, and the first in vitro fertilization of a human egg. And in 1969, following a headline-making, counterculture-driven summer of the Stonewall Uprising, the Woodstock musical Love-In, the Charles Manson murders, and the releases of twin middle-finger flicks Easy Rider and Midnight Cowboy, the 1969-70 TV season, kicks off with a primetime schedule, indicating that in a country screaming for change, the television networks are starting to listen. Much like the midlife crisis that's changing TV today in the 21st century, in 1969, the child that is TV is about to grow up. First up, a new sitcom called Room 222 on low-rated ABC. It's not our father's sitcom. Lloyd Haynes stars, sign number one, he's black. And TV has few to no black men as TV comedy leads. Haynes plays history teacher Pete Dixon at the fictional but appropriately named Walt Whitman High School set in inner city Los Angeles. Showing that TV academia has come a long way since 1950s chalkboard comedy series Armist Brooks, the show uses Dixon's Room 222 classroom as a springboard into gentle but absolutely pointed discussions of issues like race, gender, religion, war. It takes sides, though covertly, just like the sides being taken on a real campuses all across the country, not as covertly. And it does so with an ethnically diverse, Afro-sporting, bell-bottom cast of student regulars, some of whom are still teens themselves. As one named actor Heishimu would say in his series regular role as ultra-cool student Jason Davis, you dig? That Pete Dixon was involved in a relationship with Whitman School Counselor Liz McIntyre, played by Denise Nicholas, only ups the ante of innovation. Sitcoms of the day featuring two black leads as a romantic pair, like kissing and stuff? The very idea reportedly has ABC ABC executives nervous, rethinking the show even. But 29-year-old creator-producer James L. Brooks, he's a year away from the Mary Tyler Moore show, and will go on to bring us terms of endearment and broadcast news in the 1980s, well, he insists Room 222 will be presenting a more accurate picture of contemporary American life, which also includes a ragtag faculty, a Jewish principal, that's also new to TV, the Jewish part, not the principal, 
And by way of our entry into the scene and into the show, a young, naive, waspy student teacher, played by young Karen Valentine, who becomes the show's breakout star. The series premieres in September, and not only does it not lead to riots in the streets or the earth spinning off its axis, it becomes a respected and warmly received hit, winning an Emmy Award the following spring as Outstanding New Comedy of the Year. It goes on to run a total of five seasons, during which it offers nonstop real-world storylines, including a take on the country's growing generational divide that wins a 1971 Writers Guild of America Award for Richard DeRoy. Making real-world inroads of their own that September are The Leslie Uggam Show on CBS, the first variety series hosted by a black woman, The Bill Cosby Show on NBC, the actor's first solo show after his I Spy success, as well as the first sitcom to feature a black actor's name in the title, and The Courtship of Eddie's Father on NBC, a single-father sitcom that features an Asian as a cast regular. Playing housekeeper Mrs. Livingston, Miyoshi Yumeki, proves to be no mere comic relief domestic along the lines of Bonanza's stereotypical hop sing elsewhere on the NBC dial. She was often the emotional backbone and mother figure of the half-hour show, which is a groundbreaking mod com in its own right. Remember its theme song, Best Friend? That's Nilsson singing, the poster performer for the counterculture crowd. His is the voice behind the Midnight Cowboy theme, Everybody's Talking, that year. Other freshman series during the 1969 season make more overt nods to the country's rising tide of youth. Among them, The Governor and J.J. on CBS, about a conservative politician widower dealing with his 20-something hippie daughter. Of course he was. The New People on ABC, a sort of lost meets the Peace Corps hour-long drama. The Music Scene, also on ABC. A rock and Roll Showcase hosted by flower power comedian David Steinberg, fresh off of his controversial near-blasphemous appearances on the Smothers Brothers show. Then came Bronson, an NBC drama about a disillusioned young man who takes to the road in a search for meaning. And The Bold Ones, an umbrella title for four rotating series on NBC that explores the changing faces of the medical, legal, police, and political professions. Even a pair of seemingly conventional doctor shows demonstrate from their starts a sort of generational retrofitting. Marcus Welby, MD, on ABC, and Medical Center on CBS, revolve around what's becoming a template for the new TV, the conflict born of old guard, new guard, professional pairings. For Welby, that's Robert Young and James Brolin, and for Medical Center, that's James Daly and Chad Everett. And each new show tackles current events like Vietnam refugees and abortion in their very first seasons, which used to be the times for a new series not to rock the boat of new welcomes. The Doctor is Savior formula is tweaked within that reimagining, too. In the shades of gray world of 1969 television, a physician's powers prove limited, and sometimes patients die. Trivia alert. The guest patient in Medical Center's first episode, O.J. Simpson. He plays what's described as an aspiring football star. Go figure. Two other new shows from the fall of 1969 likely, if accidentally, make the biggest impact on and best reflect the realities of pre-1970s culture. The Brady Bunch on ABC may have one foot in the old world sitcom hijinks world, coming as it does from Gilligan's Island producer Sherwood Schwartz, but it plants its other foot firmly in modern-day suburbia, reflecting the changing makeup of the American family and innovating in its own way the sitcom formula with often dramatic, certainly less comedic storytelling about day-to-day life seen through the eyes of teenagers. 
for every episode about a dog allergy or a sibling singing contest or a hair mistakenly dyed green or the pain of having to have glasses is one exploring a real-world issue like school bullying or social conformity or gender rules, hell, even race. Then in November, on the newly introduced PBS network, the one without commercials, Sesame Street arrives to serve up new ways of looking at both television and childhood learning on its way to reframing the world at large for kids. It features a mulligan stew of faces and races, tackling ideas and concepts and thoughts in addition to the ABCs. The generation gap caused by a divided USA is not totally new to TV in 1969. Between February of 67 and September of 68, three series arrived to push the primetime needle. The aforementioned and quite controversial establishment poking Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour, that's on CBS, Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In on NBC, and ABC's The Mod Squad. Each of them launched powerful counterculture shots across the television bow. But the start of the 1969 TV season demonstrates that those shots are heard around the dial. A primetime revolution begins. Television is uh, at the portal of a new decade, when much of the creative decision-making comes into the hands of the first generation raised on TV in the 1950s and then awakened by it by the evening news in the 1960s. It's a generation that suspects TV's reach can extend further than its thus far self-limiting grasp and that audiences are open to it. Mary Tyler Moore and All in the Family arrive inside of a year. The 1969 TV season represents the bridge between prime times then and now. It's BC and AD. It wraps up in the spring of 1970 with a significant headline. The number one show on all of television is a rule-smashing college pay-on called Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In. The number two show, a legacy Western drama called Gunsmoke. It began on radio. The end, it appears really is only the beginning. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.